Yeah, if I haven't met you, I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor at, here at Christ the King Blaine, and we're just really glad to have you guys with us. Uh, just a few announcements. Um, let me get my list so I don't forget anything. Um, but if you're, if you're just visiting us, uh, one easy way to connect with us is we have yellow connection cards in the back. And if you're interested in, uh, you know, anything, whether it's like finding out more about faith, baptism, getting into a, a, a group, that's a great way to start. Um, also, we don't do like an off-past-the-plate offering thing in service, we, but we do have boxes in the, in the back and in the lobby. So, um, but yeah, really glad you're here. Um, today's Super Sunday. Woo! You're like, what's Super Sunday? Super Sunday means there's food after the service. So um, I'm stoked for that. Yes, we, um, looking forward to that. And let's thank uh, Marcy and Lance for coordinating that for us. Thank you, guys. And the Traps are hosting. Okay, there's just a big family thing going on here. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, please stay afterwards, and, and we'll hang out, and it's just a great time to connect with each other and have some food, so please please do that. Um, and then, let's see, we have a ladies' night coming up on March 31st. That date changed um, to a, a, for a week later, March 31st, 6 to 8. It's at Amy Nelson's house, um, so there, there's some details there. I'm sure there's details to come on that as well. Um, and then I have a kind of a cool opportunity for us. I want everybody to mark in their calendars April 8th, 10 to noon, uh, because uh, we as a church are going to do a big community egg hunt. We're calling it Egg Stravaganza um, out at Blaine Marine Park. It's going to be an awesome time for outreach, um, connecting with our community. Uh, we've I've seen these things done before and like 600 700 people show up so we're hoping that we can uh, that we can like reach our community this way um, it's going to be in like the northern light and Blaine by the sea um, but here's some cool things that are happening with it so the city is going to let us use the park for free which is awesome uh, Starbucks is donating the coffee for free which is crazy, right? Like, that's awesome. So Starbucks is, is donating the coffee and, and hot chocolate. Um, we have a guy who's going to fry donuts right there on site. So it's just going to be, it's awesome how this thing's coming together. So, but, but we, we want it to be all hands on deck, too. I mean, we want to, we, we, so please mark it on your calendars. Come have fun, but also volunteer, because um, it's going to take a lot of people um, to run it. Obviously, we're not full today, right? So that's why I'm saying all hands on deck. Um, but yeah, just mark it uh, April 8th. It's going to be a great time of outreach. Um, we're also going to have cards that share some information about the church. That's Easter weekend, so we're going to invite people to join us on Easter Sunday and have a little write-up on what the, the true meaning of Easter is. So it's a great way to just have a, a soft way to, to connect with people and hopefully, yeah, hopefully make some connections. So I think it's going to be a great opportunity for outreach. I'm really excited about that. So um, we are going to get into our series in Daniel today, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for, for everybody sitting here, everybody watching at home. God, thank you for building a church here in Blaine. Lord, thank you for bringing your people together. Uh, thank you for moving us by your spirit. Lord, we pray that you would continue, God, to, to make an impact on our city. We know there's, 
there's a lot of heartache in our city. We know there's a lot of people who are far from you in our city, God, and we desperately want them here, and we desperately want them to know you. So I pray as we look forward to reaching out that you would bless those efforts, God, that you would uh, meet us as we step out. Um, Lord, as we turn to your word today, I pray that you would speak through it um, in what can be a sort of a hard passage of scripture. So I pray that you would just help us not just to make sense of it, but let it impact our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, we're going to be in Daniel 7 today. So we've been going through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter. It's been really good. And the first six chapters of Daniel, uh, everybody likes the six chapters of Daniel because they make sense. Uh, they, are, they take place in the courts of emperors. You see God's faithful people make a huge difference in, in, in these kings' lives and in these royal courts that we see incredible faith. And then D Daniel 7 is where things start to get weird. <laughs> if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we had a guest preacher, Garrett. He called it uh, super trippy mushroom weird. And it kind of is that way. It's a little weird. Um, but it basically what happens is it's a prophetic vision that God gives Daniel on what will happen throughout the, the future from Daniel's vantage point in 550 BC, what's going to happen in the future. And, and God trusts his faithful servant Daniel with this revelation that he is to write down. And so that's what we've received um, from Daniel 7 through chapter 12. And these visions are not drug induced, <laughs> they're God induced. And so what that means is, even for a faithful guy like Daniel, that struck a lot of fear in his heart. To have God show up with these big, incredible visions. Even Daniel, who was very secure in his relationship with God, was terrified by what he saw. And it says that again and again. But I think any of us would be. The point is that any of us would be terrified if we saw what Daniel saw. If we got the vision that Daniel got in Scripture. Because God is powerful, and God is mighty, and sometimes we forget that when we're just going about our daily lives. God reminds even the most faithful people how powerful he is. And we've been, I think, as a, as a nation, reminded of God's power and presence Lately, I mentioned last week about the Asbury revival that was going on at the, at the campus of Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. And I thought I would touch on that because it's really interesting how, how this, what some people are calling the, the Asbury outpouring, how God's just kind of showed up in a random town, in a random part of the country. And I just wanted to share with you a little bit about what happened there. So on February 8th, there were a bunch of students who got together for like a normal chapel service. It's a Christian college, and they had a speaker. He wasn't a famous speaker. He wasn't a polished speaker. He was a soccer coach and a ministry leader. And he came up and he gave a, a word asking if, hey, have you really experienced the love of Jesus? And that was basically his message. And he didn't feel good about his message. In fact, he sent a text home to his wife um, that said, latest stinker, be home soon. And I can tell you, as someone who, who preaches most weeks, I, I totally resonate with that, you know? Oh, yeah, I was a stinker today. Um, but then the worship started after he, he got off the stage, and it didn't stop. And it kept going. 
and it kept going, and it kept going, and it lasted for two full weeks, 336 hours. Some people complain at, at, at church if it runs over 15 minutes. So imagine a 336-hour service. There was worship, prayer, healings, prophetic words, and, and no one led it. There wasn't a pastor. There wasn't a strategy team that was coordinating it and, and trying to, to, to figure out how to make it go on. It was just the presence of God showing up in a space, in a community, and just going and going. There's a pastor from New York that I like a lot. His name's John Tyson. He went there to just see what was going on. He went there to check it out, and this is what he said. He said, I honestly don't want to talk about my experience at the Asbury outpouring too much, too sacred. I just thought, wow. You know, here's a guy who gets paid to talk for a living. He doesn't want to talk about this. Yeah. Like, it's too powerful. It's too sacred. Something was going on there that, uh, th that he couldn't... Uh, he couldn't just describe in words. What he said is, God is so kind to draw near in such a tangible way, and I'm grateful to have experienced it in my lifetime. There's something significant about that. God showing up in a powerful way, and sometimes it is a moment in our lives where we experience that in a special way. I wish God was just a faucet we could turn on and off, right? <laughs> to experience, oh yeah, amazing things. But God shows up when he wants to show up and in, in, in powerful ways. God's always near, but there's sometimes when he's so, so active and so present in the world. So as you consider that event, I wonder, does hearing about events like that, hearing about, about God moving in powerful ways, does that get you excited at all? Does that get you excited? I know it gets Marcel excited. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. But yeah, it's a sense that God is moving. It's a sense that God uh, could bring people to himself, that he could move in dramatic ways, and, and it should leave us with a taste of, man, I want that here. Yeah. I want to see that here. I want to see that happen right where we live. I want to experience God pour himself out on our, commu our community as well. I want to have an experience that's too sacred to talk about when I look back. And so we also have to ask ourselves, are we ready for something like that? You know, are we ready to receive that? If, if all of a sudden half of Blaine got saved, would we be ready to receive that? You know, I hope we need a bigger building, right? I hope we get to that point. So, but the question I want to ask about, because really what Daniel 7 gets into is that there, we live in a, we, we live... We live with two things happening at once. If you're a Christian, you live with, with two realities. You live in the kingdom of the world, but you also live in the kingdom of God. Those are two different things. You live in the kingdom of the world, but you also live in the kingdom of God. And that's what Daniel 7 gets into. And so the question as we get into this today is what kingdom are you captivated by? What kingdom are you captivated by? What are you thinking about? What are you, are, are you thinking about the kingdom of this world as you go through your week? Or are you thinking about the kingdom of heaven? God, in powerful ways. Help my friend, my neighbor. What is holding your attention? Sometimes when we move too fast or we're too distracted or we're too passive, it's really easy to get sucked into the kingdom of the world. 
and just whatever it is. Maybe, maybe think about the podcasts you listen to and the content of those podcasts. What are, what are those podcasts focused on? Which kingdom are they focused on? Maybe we're stuck thinking and, and spending our time looking at the wrong kingdom. So Daniel 7 today is going to talk a lot about this, this dynamic between the two kingdoms. And uh, God is going to speak in prophetic words. So what this, if you, if you study the Bible, um, you, you know that there are different genres of scripture. There are different, um, we, we read Psalms differently than we read the Gospels. Like Psalms is poetry, the Gospels is narrative and teaching, and Daniel is a mix of narrative and then apocalyptic literature. Apocalypse. Um, but the, usually they use this word apocalypse to talk about Daniel, and we think of apocalypse as the end of the world, which it is, uh, can refer to, and Daniel, the end of Daniel 7 gets into that a little bit. But really, all that word means at its core is revelation. Like there's a special revelation from God. Like you could also, um, the, the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament has also been called the Apocalypse of John, the Revelation of John. So it's kind of synonymous, kind of the same idea. And what God is going to describe, what God is going to reveal is how the kingdoms of the world look like through his eyes. He's going to share what the kingdoms of the world look like. He's going to use metaphor. He's going to use images to describe what the kingdoms look like. And they are ugly. And they are gruesome. Every world power is ugly and gruesome to God because it's run by humans. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes it's hard to wrestle with this because I like where I like the nation I live in. Anybody else like the nation you live in? I, I, I like living in the U.S. <laughs> uh, you know, I like it, but it's not perfect, is it? It's not perfect. And if you look at American history, you know that it wasn't perfect. And that um, whether you look at wh how we treated native tribes, whether you look at the history of slavery and segregation, um, whether you look at Whatever you want to look at, um, abortion, mass shootings today, there's a lot that's wrong in, in our nation and our nation's history. It's not perfect. But no kingdom of the world is. Just saying that even our nation is not all peaches, right? But we're not here to measure brutality today. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Daniel 7 and get a vision of, of some very odd-looking creatures that represent the kingdoms that would precede Daniel in his time. And they were truly brutal empires. And this is what it says in, uh, in we're going to start in Daniel 7, verse 2. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wing, the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and it had three ribs and its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. See, real good stuff, guys. I'm really, it's a great passage. If you're a guest today, you're like, what is this? What are we reading? Uh, 
After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and, crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. All right. So we could spend a lot of time going through each, each animal piece by piece and, and figuring out what it means, but what I'm going to do is just zoom through what Daniel is talking about. Because it's very real and it's very specific. These creatures, they're not like metaphysical. Like they're, they're real. Like what he's talking about is a real thing. And God has assigned different metaphors for different empires that would come in succession. Starting with Babylon, going to Persia, going to Greece, and then going to Rome. And so that's what these creatures represent. So we see Babylon represented as a lion with eagle's wings. Um, What's interesting is that this image of a lion with eagle's wings was actually the image of a Babylonian deity. So God matches sort of the, 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 the how the people saw themselves with how he um, saw themselves. And he also talks about how that creature becomes a man, which if you go back to Daniel 4, you, you're reminded of how Nebuchadnezzar got too proud and God made him like an animal for seven years and then restored him to become like a man. So it's referring back to that. So after Babylon comes Persia. We see Persia represented as a bear. Uh, the bear was the emblem of the Persian Empire. Um, we see it has three ribs in its, in its teeth. Each of it represents three political foes. We see Greece represented as a leopard with four wings. Uh, that emphasizes speed. So with Greece... They came and went very quickly. So if you know history at all, and I don't want to get too far into it, but Alexander the Great um, took over the world and died at age 33. And then it kind of all fell apart. So there's, there's this image of a leopard with four wings. And then you have Rome. Rome is the juggernaut. Rome is the, the beast of the story. Huge and strong, great iron teeth, devours everyone, tramples on everything. So it's sort of like the last image that Daniel's left with is this image of this massive, huge, powerful Roman Empire that later we learn Christ will be born into. So this is how God categorizes the kingdoms of the earth. They're monstrosities. And if you think about it, if you think about from God's eyes, how many people died at the hands of these different empires? How many wars, how much blood was spilled to build these different empires? Right? That is terrifying. That would be terrifying. How many people were mistreated, abused by these different powers? And so you can see why human governments would take on the shape of these monstrosities to God. And if you can imagine being in Daniel's shoes, you're wondering, what can we do about it? They're way too powerful for me. You can imagine how this scene is just holding Daniel in, in fear. And it's true that what happens in the world today is pretty much beyond us. Whatever we do, we can't stop the war in Ukraine, right? Personally, as an individual. We only have this much power, and it seems like there's so much going on in the world, we can't control it. So let's look at verse 8. 
he goes on to describe um, this last empire. It says, while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first were up before his horn had eyes, the eyes of human, and the mouth that spoke boastfully. So that's the end of the images of these empires. And then look what happens. It says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. So in the middle of all of this chaos in earth, we get a different scene. We get a vision of what's going on in heaven, where all of a sudden we're whisked away from looking at these terrifying creatures into the courts of heaven. I do have one confession. I don't I'm not really sure what that little boastful horn is, um, but most people aren't anyways. They're all guessing, so, uh, so I don't feel so bad. Um, but in the middle of the craziness of earth, God sits above it all. He's the Ancient of Days. He's got fire flowing from his throne. He's got millions of angels to help. And the Bible specifically describes God here as the Ancient of Days. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you wonder why. What does that mean? So there's a lot of different titles for God in Scripture. There's a lot of different titles. Um, in the Old Testament, you might see Jehovah Jireh, meaning the God that provides. You might see Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. There's all sorts of different titles for God. Why is that? It's because does God just provide? No. Does God just heal? No. There, there's so many titles for God because God is so multifaceted. God relates to us in different ways at different times. And Ancient of Days is how God relates to the powers of the world. He sits above them, he is unaffected by them, and he is in control of it all. The Ancient of Days. It reminds me, uh, when I was in high school, uh, the Lord of the Rings movies came out. Any fans of the Lord of the Rings? Or am I going to bore everybody right now? All right, I'm going to bore a lot of people right now. Okay, that's cool. I, I was a Tolkien nerd growing up. I read the books. And when I was 17, the first movie came out. I remember sitting in the theater, and it was great until about 45 minutes in, and then it was a major, major letdown. And the reason why is early in the film, the hobbits are running from the Black I'm See, I'm going to bore you. Just hang with me here for a minute. They're running from the Black Riders, and they get out of the Shire, and then the cut scene, and they end up in the village of Bree, and they're at the gate. And when, it was at that moment where I wanted my money back because they skip this whole part in the book where they go through the old forest, and they run into this guy named Tom Bombadil. And Tom Bombadil was my favorite character in the whole series. Why? Because he was aloof. He was goofy. He walked around his forest singing. Um, the, the, he, uh, 
but he was in control of it all, but yet he chose to limit himself to this little force. He was just kind of this aloof character. I found out later that Tolkien um, put him in there because it was the name of one of his kids' stuffed animals. And so it was sort of this like inside joke with his kids. Um, but in the, in the book, they call him the ancient. The ancient. He, he puts the ring on at one point and nothing happens. But it's this idea that that he's just kind of above it all, and if he wanted to engage in it, he could, but he doesn't really want to. He wants to tend to his forest, and, um, but he doesn't, he's not really affected by what's going on in the rest of the world. And I wonder, because Tolkien was a Christian, I wonder if he had this idea of the Ancient of Days when he built this character. That God's sort of unaffected by all the chaos and craziness of the world, but he chooses to enter in when he chooses to enter in. The Ancient of Days is how God relates to the powers of the world. Thank you for bearing with me if you're not a Tolkien fan, by the way. Um, he's unaffected by it. He's in absolute control. And he does enter in as he sees fit. Ultimately, all those empires crumbled. All those empires fell. So there's more descriptors for God in this passage. His clothing is as white as snow, meaning that he's perfect. He's holy. He's totally different than, than the world. His hair is white like wool. That implies wisdom. God's wisdom far exceeds anything uh, that we have here on earth. We see his immense power described, a flaming throne, fire jettisoning out, river of fire, thousands upon thousands. So uh, for people suffering in an evil world, this is hope. That there is a powerful God who is actually above all of these empires that maybe have enslaved them or hurt their family, God is above it all. And God slays the great beast. God strips these, uh, power, uh, uh, um, strips these empires of their authority. And so what we see is this. What we see is this. The kingdoms of the world equal madness and destruction in the eyes of God. That's, that's the kingdoms of the world. They're always going to be maddening. If you're focused on what's going on in the world, you might go crazy. You're never going to turn on the news and feel refreshed at night, you know? You're never going to look at your Twitter feed and feel like, man, that, I, I really needed that. That was just a breath of fresh air. I feel way better about the way things are going, you know? You're never going to feel that way. The world is never going to make you feel refreshed or like, oh man, I, I feel really good about the way things are going in the world. You might see some good, but those are like the outliers, right, of the news. It's like the news feels like, well, we got to put a little bit of good in there. We can't just depress them with every story, so we got to put a little bit of good in there. But mostly the kingdoms of the world, it's all bad news. It's all bad news. So we need a greater hope. We need a greater hope. What's the way out of the mess? Well, we're going to go to verse 13 in Daniel and see says this in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Here it is. Here it is. The kingdom of God will last forever, will not be destroyed. He will bring together every tribe, every tongue, every nation together in worship of him. This is the image of the kingdom of God. 
And maybe you've heard this phrase, the Son of Man, before, but this is a direct reference to Jesus. This is a prophecy of Jesus who would come and preach the good news of the kingdom. That's how it's described in Matthew and Mark. Jesus comes on the scene, and it says he goes about preaching the good news of the kingdom. So I hope, even though this passage is weird, I hope it inspires and strengthens your faith. Because it is prophetic, and it points forward to Jesus. And we also see that God's plans never changed. God's plan was consistent, that Jesus was always the plan. That God's kingdom was going to come through Jesus being born of a virgin, growing into a man, um, sharing the news of the kingdom, dying for the world, and rising again. That was always the plan, as Daniel points forward. This is 550 years before Jesus comes. This is like the movie trailer that gets you excited for the movie that's going to come out in six months. And so, this is the good news in Daniel. This is literally like the, the good news, that there's a better kingdom. There's a better kingdom that we're looking forward to. You don't have to, like, live in fear of the kingdoms of the world because there's a better kingdom coming. And it's coming for you to be a part of it. So let's fast forward 600 years. Let's go to Jesus standing before Pilate on the eve of his crucifixion. He's about to be crucified. And this is what he says to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is from another place. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. In fact, it comes from a different place. What we see in Daniel 7, the, the throne room of heaven. Jesus' kingdom is different because it comes from a different place. It doesn't come from the world. It comes from a different place. So it's not like the world. It's not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus isn't trying to create physical boundaries. He's trying to rule hearts, right? Rule our hearts. Rule at a heart level. No earthly kingdom can rule your heart. They might be able to control your property taxes. Uh, they might be able to control... Um, you, you know, selective service. They might be able to control a lot of different things. They can imprison you, but they can never rule your heart. Only Jesus can. He says, those who are on the side of truth, listen to me. Those who are on the side of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when we come into his kingdom, we see who God is, and we see who we are, and we live accordingly to that. And Jesus came so that you could know the truth. You could journey into the truth, and, and, and if you listen to him, and we don't know everything up front, it's a journey of finding out more and more about who God is and who we are. So let's fast forward from this time with Pilate. Jesus is crucified. Jesus rises again. Jesus reveals himself to his followers, and now Jesus is about to go back to heaven, and this is what he says in Matthew 28. We're going to look at 16 through 20. The, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So this, this is the kingdom right now. Jesus has all the authority in heaven and earth. He'll have it forever, but he has it now. And he sends his disciples out not to make war and build physical boundaries, but, but to teach people who he is, to proclaim the truth, to baptize people. That's what he does. And I always love, I include verse 16, because I always love the humanity of that verse. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You might be confronted with the, the truth, but that, that doubt reflex <laughs> might hit. His own disciples, after seeing him rise from the dead, still experience doubt. So if you experience doubt, you're normal, okay? You are normal. Um, but Jesus holds all authority in heaven and earth. And, and, and so to these bewildered disciples, he gives this commandment that is passed down from Christian to Christian, from disciple to disciple. This is how God will grow his kingdom. It will be from heart to heart. It won't be with war. His disciples won't kill to spread Christianity. They'll die to spread Christianity. And so this is, uh, this is the contrast. This is the kingdom of God. Instead of madness and destruction, the kingdom of God is truth and togetherness. And I don't choose these words lightly. Because the picture we have in Daniel and the picture that is reinforced here is that everyone is worshiping Jesus. Everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's God's plan. God is not going to separate people. He's going to bring them together under the forgiveness and love of Christ. And he's going to ask his disciples to go out to every corner of the earth to speak the truth to people that they might not click with or get along with or understand the language. But he's going to send them anyways to go and do that. But I don't know about you, but this sounds like a better kingdom. It sounds like a better kingdom the kingdom of truth where the king never fades and never leaves. The king has all the authority in heaven and on earth. Where worldly kingdoms might hurt and divide people, God's kingdom will heal and connect people. As we worship him, we come together as well as people. God's kingdom is radically international. It's radically diverse. Jesus tears down walls that exist between people and builds it together in forgiveness and love. So because of Jesus, I have more in common with a Korean man who's a Christian that I, that I don't I went to high school with that looks like me that I don't, that, that, that is not a Christian. He creates that kind of commonality because we share a love for Jesus. We know what it means to be forgiven and forgive. We know what it means to live in the love of God. And so, if we want to heal the world today, we need to tell the world about Jesus. We need to tell the world about Jesus. So here's how I want to close today. Maybe, maybe this is kind of new, kind of foreign, kind of different. Um, but this is my question for all of us. I, I mean, we've gone through, this is a, not all, if, if you're new to the Bible, not all of the Bible is like this. <laughs> I just want you to know that. This is a heavier part of the Bible. But here's my question for you today. Are you ready to hope? In a better kingdom are you ready to hope in a better kingdom Jesus came to invite you into a better kingdom a better life with a better king it's a better kingdom because Jesus is a better king
In verse 18, Daniel says, But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. That's a lot of forevers. That's like a seal. It's like the king putting his signet ring down. Yes, forever and ever. I'm not lying. I'm not misleading you. Jesus will reign forever and ever. So that's as forever as it gets. But Jesus invites you into reconnection with God in a way that will last. It means eternal life later, but abundant life now. You know that if our hope is not just about, like, after we die, although that is very important, it's about having new life now, right? So changing the way we live, changing what we want, changing the way that we, we, we relate to the world, the way we love others. We get to live in the peace and the power of God in a kingdom that will have no end, that starts now, but lasts forever. So for any of you that feels like your eyes have been too much down here, too much on, the, too much on what's going on in the world, too much, too much discouragement, maybe, maybe you know, I, I, got, I got off Twitter this week. It's so great. I feel, that's probably why I'm energized today. It's so, so nice. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, maybe your eyes are down here, and God just wants to lift them up here today. God just wants to say, start living for my kingdom. It's way better. It's way, you're, you're going to look back on your life and see you've left way more of an impact and a legacy by focusing on the kingdom of heaven than focusing on the kingdom of this world. That's not to say there aren't a lot of bad things going on in the world. For sure, there are, right? But, but the answer, the solution, is not more fixing the kingdom of the world it's it's focusing on the kingdom of god so what i want to invite you today is whether whether you've you've never said jesus be my king or whether you have but kind of drifted from that i just want to create an opportunity i want to pray for you and then if if you're like yeah today's the day i just want to make a decision i just ask that you lift up your hand so let me pray and then uh then we'll close with with worship lord i thank you for your kingdom i thank you for being a better king lord i thank you for giving us a kingdom that will last forever and in our moment sometimes it's hard to even fathom what that could look like but jesus i pray that you would touch uh touch us today god show us your truth Show us how much you love us. God, move in your spirit, in, in power. Lord, we want more of you, God. Lord, help us to live for the, the better kingdom. It's so easy to get sucked into all the things going on today. But Lord, there's something so much better going on. There's, there's a better work to be a part of. Uh, there's a better movement to be a part of. Lord, so help us get our eyes focused on you and what you're doing. We pray for that. It was just every eye closed. If there's anybody who wants to make that decision, like today's the day, I'm going to follow Jesus. Would you just lift your hand up? Amen. Lord, we, uh, we just lift this up to you, God. We pray that you would continue to move. We pray that you would continue to be at work. Uh, among us, God, we thank you for uh, just this opportunity to worship this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
right, church, let's stand. We're going to close and worship this morning. And then don't forget, food. Food. As soon as you go out that door, it's going to be good. <laughs>